I'm Mike Sweeney. This is the Simplified Body Podcast. Welcome to the second episode of the Simplified Body Podcast. I'm Mike Sweeney. And literally just the other day, I was watching a documentary about... Yetis in the Tibetan Himalayan region and uh, yeah I'm a bit of a geek I like watching these kind of weird documentaries about UFOs and aliens and this one was about yetis and the documentary was trying to figure out like is the yeti actually real so they were taking a look at a lot of the scientific evidence or lack of actually looking at the report from the local people they even had animal remains so they were analyzing that for DNA and stuff and and one of the things that popped out at me that was really interesting was that apparently this part of the world is largely unexplored, which is really interesting to me. And apparently that's got a lot to do with the oxygen saturation in that area being about 60% of what it is at sea level. Now, for short periods of time, when people like you or I can go into that part of the world, our bodies will produce more red blood cells. And that's kind of what elite athletes sometimes try to take advantage of because then when you come back down to sea level you have more oxygen in your blood but for prolonged period of periods of time we would get health problems so we'd get things like brain edema we'd get thickening of the blood which would lead to cardiovascular problems etc and apparently like most causes of death among mountaineers is hypoxia or you know a lack of oxygen you know where they try to stay in that part of the world for too long and run into a, a lot of these problems so for all this time that's really gotten in the way of sort of fully exploring the region um, and doing a ton of research especially on the animals there and that was kind of like the whole premise of this documentary that nobody's really done this research in that part of the world and, and that's why they wanted to go there but the big question I had in my mind when I was watching this though was well like how do the Tibetans survive you know like like if we go there and we stay there for prolonged periods of time we get problems but for the Tibetan people like they live there and they perform really really well and you could see them on this documentary like herding horses and doing all, all that kind of stuff where you know people like me, me and you we would struggle with that and they kind of went into this on the surface level on the documentary and I had to look some stuff up because basically I know nothing about genetics and I'm not going to pretend to know anything about genetics but what I did find out was that the reason the Tibetan people can actually live there is to do with this EPAS1 gene which basically is a genetic mutation that interacts with another gene called hypoxia inducible factor which basically re regulates red blood cell production in response to oxygen metabolism now obviously all of that sounds relatively complicated and it does get even more complicated than that I can promise you but basically means that they produce less red blood cells than we do which means that they even at those kind of altitudes they're able to survive and not get any health problems and actually perform you know pretty well day to day but the point of today's podcast isn't really to talk about yetis or genetics the point is that the lack of this genetic adaptation is what's really gotten in the way of researchers and even mountaineers exploring the region due to the lack of oxygen and whilst current sort of more modern mountaineers and researchers actually do plan for the lack of oxygen in the past mountaineers and researchers actually never did and unfortunately a lot of these people did 
run into problems, complications, and some of them even even died. But you know, had they maybe planned for the worst case, you know, so for example, you know, what happens if and when I run out of oxygen? Then maybe they might have been more successful. Maybe some of them might have survived to tell some of the tales. We don't really know for sure, but we know that that probably would have increased their chances of uh, of being successful, which happens to be like a super important thing to do before you run off and try to find the next amazing diet to do, before you try to you know buy all these crazy weight loss supplements or whatever it is they're going to try and do to get yourself in shape. And I first heard of this from Dr. Rob Young, who I've had the pleasure of talking with uh, last year. And researchers call this coping intentions, which basically means that you you sit down before you even try to achieve a goal. You sit down and you try to identify all the obstacles ahead of time and you make a plan for those obstacles. Now, you might be wondering, well, maybe it sounds a bit negative. Like, why would I try to think of all the reasons I'm going to fail? Um, and yeah, like it's a natural thing to think, well, why is this important? Well, the reason it's important is because, I mean, it's easy to make lots of effort with your diet, with your training, with life in general, when you feel really great and when everything is going your way. But what happens when stress, overwhelm, tiredness, hunger, etc., etc., what happens when all of those things get in the way? And, and basically, like, what happens when real life kicks in? Like, then what are you, what are you gonna do? So, by kind of approaching things in this way, you're almost planning for your worst day. And I say this to clients a lot, and and usually they find it quite surprising. Uh, But I usually tell them, look, you know, if I can get you to do this plan on your absolute worst day of the week, or worst day of the month, then on your good day, this is going to seem so easy, it's going to seem like a joke. And... I know it kind of seems counterintuitive and probably opposite to what most of the fitness industry would have you do, because let's face it, everybody wants to give you a meal plan and a training program that assumes every day is going to be a great day, when the reality of it is that it's just really, really not. Uh, we all have our ups and downs to varying degrees. So behavioral researchers have demonstrated that planning things in this way, i.e. planning for the worst case scenario, making a plan to counteract that worst case actually increases your chances of success and hopefully you can see why uh, but how do we do it which is a great question and the answer is dead simple and we actually do it with a question much like the previous podcast so what I want you to do right now is grab a pen grab some paper do it in your phone on your laptop whatever you want to do or make a mental note if you are driving or whatever And just ask yourself, in relation to what you want to achieve, what will get in the way? And I'll just let you think about that for a second, but literally, what will get in the way? And there's loads of ways to phrase this question, obviously. And then what I want you to do when you've maybe made some bullet points about what will get in the way, then I want you to make like a little mini plan. And this doesn't have to be anything extravagant or over the top. This can literally just be a sentence about what you were going to do when this worst case scenario thing actually happens. Um, so for example, for myself, a big problem for me is stress. And actually, if I don't manage my levels of stress, for me personally, that can lead to comfort eating, um, 
And that can lead to like a whole host of things. I don't train, I don't sleep, my recovery becomes worse, like a whole bunch of stuff. So actually by planning ahead of time of how I'm going to manage my stress, I actually manage to avoid all of those problems, which means I can stay more consistent with my nutrition, which means I can stay more consistent with my training, which means I can sleep better, which means my recovery is better. Literally everything gets better. So you can see that actually... Sometimes achieving adherence with your nutrition plan and even your training program actually can have nothing at all to do with your nutrition program or your training plan, like literally nothing at all. Um, and that's not always the case, but sometimes the case, which is why it's usually a good idea to do this, because let's face it, most of us have done a diet or two leading up to the point where we are at right now. And most of us have run into problems with those diets or those training programs or whatever else it is. Um, so hopefully I've made the point that this is definitely useful. I would a thousand percent recommend you use this. Like I said, this comes from the research um, and makes a huge difference for my clients, makes a huge difference for me personally. And that's pretty much all I've got for you today. So let me know if you've got any questions about this or anything else at all, you can get me at mike at nutritionable.co.uk and I'll catch you next time.